listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. Great to be with you, joining you today wherever you and whenever you are watching this. My name's Mark, and it's a real privilege to open God's Word and to spend this time with you. We are in the midst of a new series called The New Normal, which is a phrase that we hear all the time at the moment. The question of what will the new normal look like after the pandemic? And we're, I guess, reframing that and asking what is the new normal that God wants his people to step into? To do this in this series, we're focusing on three simple principles, simple principles which are really helpful to help us navigate the complexity and unpredictability of our moment. We're looking at how we abide, abide with Jesus, stay close to the vine. We're looking at how we're renewed by Jesus and how we go with Jesus, partnering him with his mission in the world. Last week, we looked at how we are individually renewed with Jesus. And just want to pause again at the renew spot this week. But instead of looking at it through an individual lens, I want to ask the question, how does the people of God, his church, be renewed? I think this is a really fitting thing to talk about in this time, this pattern break where I don't think this has happened in the history of the church, where all over the world, the churches are not meeting like they really do in physical, uh, uh, embodied together in worship. Most churches around the world are using online or radio, even in places where churches have opened up. Uh, a lot of the statistics are telling us that very few people, uh, the majority, are still not coming back because there's this sense of fear as the virus is still around. And we've communicated in the last uh, you know, month or so how we at Red Church, we don't know what the future looks like. There is an unpredictability which makes it really hard to plan. And... Instead of what people normally do, where they pick what might be the the key trend that they see happening and then sort of bank on that and plan for that, we realize there's multiple futures that are at play. And at a moment like this, we can begin to do that even throughout RED. We can start to imagine what if RED comes back? And I know there's people thinking like this, like what if the future is house churches? What if it is smaller churches? What if it's one big service? What if we have to move around services? What if we have to move times? We don't know what the future looks like. But a moment when so many things are up in the air about how and where and, 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 and what we do when we worship, it's really important to return to that simple principle of how we be renewed as the people of God. I want to look at a scripture to do this. And we're going to look at John chapter 4. We're just going to look at a couple verses from this story, but I just want to give you the background of the story. Jesus goes to a well, and there he meets this Samaritan woman. And they begin to have this discussion. And the discussion is sort of framed by this woman who realizes she's a Samaritan and Jesus is a Jew. And the thing that she brings up is differences in how they worship. Both of these groups worshiped Yahweh, the God of the Bible, but there were differences, cultural differences. How they expressed that looked different. The woman says in Hebrew, uh, sorry, John 4 verse 19, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. That's the bit of respect. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Okay, that's a little bit of the debate. 
What she's saying and she's bringing the conversation down to is how are we going to do this? Yes, there is the Lord God, Yahweh, but let's have a debate here about how and where we worship. Jesus responds in this way. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. But here's the verse I really want you to focus in on. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kinds of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Jesus is totally turning this on its head. What seems like a debate about where and how we should worship is completely reframed. Jesus reorientates this discussion around something that's about to happen when the Holy Spirit comes, when Jesus' work on the cross has been completed and a new era begins called the era of the church. And notice what's important here. It's not about where and how the worship will happen. It actually talks about, it moves from the human focus of where that's going to happen to actually God's focus. For they are the kinds of worshippers the Father seeks. Those who worship in the Spirit and in truth. So this becomes a North Star for us as we enter into this moment when it's quite possible over the next year or six months or however long the pandemic goes on and when we come back, there's going to be a bunch of debates about how and and what and where we should worship. And what this does is it points us back to the essence of actually what God's calling us to, which is less about where and how and what time and what worship looks like, whether it's big, whether it's small, where it's at homes, whether it suits your particular preference for what you want church to look like, what God is doing here, what Jesus is saying is, now hang on, I'm looking for a particular kind of worshiper. Reorientate yourself around that. Don't look at the where, the what's, the when's. Look at who you're worshipping and worship me in spirit and in truth. Now, church can move into decline, the kind of decline that we spoke about last week, which doesn't even necessarily have to be around numbers, but the church can find itself in a place of spiritual unhealth, paralysis, even captivity when a few things happen. And to understand this, I want to use an illustration which helps us understand the church, which is a a body made up of humans worshipping God. We have to first understand what makes up a human. One of the ways that various Christian writers have described the human, noting that the scriptures describe humans in three sort of compartments or three different parts of what it is to be a human, a trinity, if you like, of a human, the body which most of us understand, you're in one now, you can control your body, your flesh, how you communicate and move through the world, how you enact your will in the world through the body. The second part is the soul. 
The soul which has our will, our ego, our desires, what we want, our ideas and thoughts, our feelings and emotions, the seat of our personality. That's the soul. But then there's the spirit, the spirit which is the part of us which communes with God. Which sometimes has those intuitions where you feel God saying something and you know that it's not coming from your feelings. You know that it's not coming from that part of your soul. It's actually coming directly from God. The way that Watchman Nee described this, the Chinese Christian uh, leader and writer was, in many ways, the body is the worker. The soul is like the assistant and the spirit is meant to be the boss. And this is how humans were to create it. The spirit communes with God. And as we follow God's will in the world, then that moves into our particular personality, our desires, our feelings, our emotions, and that becomes the translator, which then moves through our body and God's will through us is enacted in the world. But what Shmini said was that when sin enters the picture, that divine order that God wanted, spirit, then soul, then body, is completely messed up. There are some people, and this may have been you before you knew Jesus, or you may know people like this, where at the top is the body, where basically our lives are run. The boss of ourselves is the body. Its desires are just insatiable. We're literally what the body wants to eat, who it wants to sleep with, its anger, whatever it may be, the way it, 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 it physically interacts with the world is actually driving the human being. Now, most people understand that this is not a good way to live. We would call that way of living animalistic because it's more like acting like an animal. What's different is humans have this sense of the soul. So what happens is when sin enters the picture is that part of us, the spirit, which is able to commune with God, actually becomes deadened. And instead of the spirit being the boss at the top, communing with God, following him, enacting his will in the world, the soul begins to take the lead point to the point where even it becomes mixed up. So we don't know what is our feelings, what is our intuition, what is our desires, what we want, our ideas and thoughts, and actually what God is saying. When the soul is ahead of the spirit, This is the condition that the New Testament is describing when it talks about the flesh or spiritual immaturity. So when the soul and spirit are mixed, the soul, the self, is leading. And this is actually a diagnosis of so much spiritual unhealth that we find in the people of God. It's easy to recognize when the body is leading the train, but when the soul is leading, it becomes more confusing. We can get caught up in feelings, which we mistake for God speaking. We can even do seemingly noble things which look good to the outside world, but actually it's an attempt to gratify our own ego, to build up an identity. And what makes the soul the leader is when we as humans try and live a life where we're not dependent upon 
God. In the garden, Adam and Eve were given the choice between the tree of life, which came through a dependency on God, the communing with God in spirit, or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, where the soul gets this knowledge and the soul is then leading the charge. And so there are lots of Christians who have been saved. They have been made right with Jesus But the full effects of that change have not gone through them because the soul is still leading things. It's in charge. And this results in a destructive or sometimes really disappointing form of Christianity for those who live it and those who experience it. It can go from kinds of corruption where like you make Christianity all about you to consumer forms of Christianity and cultural forms of Christianity or to even pharisaical, very religious and judgmental Christianity, which is not coming out of the spirit of God communing with our spirit, but actually our soul trying to put itself first. Now, Martin Luther, the famous reformist thinker, made another parallel between these three divisions in humans and the way that the temple in the Old Testament existed. The temple was divided into three. Worship passed through these three stages. There was what he called the outer court, or that's what was called the outer court, but he linked that the outer court, which is the interface of the temple with the rest of the world, is like the body. Our body is our interface with the rest of the world. The soul was like the inner court of the temple. Religious stuff happened there. There were services. There was prayers. But then there was the holiest of holies, and that's the spirit, where once a year the high priest would go in, and that's where the presence, the glory of God resided. And when we realize that humans are called living temples, we can begin to see how these different pieces fall into play. That so much of us have a faith where we may just enter into that inner court doing religious things, but we never really commune with the presence of God, spirit to spirit. And so lots of churches can find themselves Actually, just as humans can find themselves being run, not by the spirit of God, but actually that soul, that ego, that human self, a competing array of different preferences and opinions, people doing seemingly religious things, people enjoying religious elements, but more as a form of entertainment, where actually feelings and emotions, which are not bad in of themselves, but they take precedence over what God is saying And a church, which even can look healthy, can actually be a place which is filled with spiritual immaturity in the flesh. So a church has to ask the question, have we become like that? And I believe at a moment of uncertainty, as we find ourselves at the moment When there's this clear pattern break with the past, there's a chance to leave some of that in the past, but all this, so there's this opportunity for many of these soulish influences that are not submitted to Jesus to actually come in at this point. Now, renewal comes when we understand the division between the soul and the spirit. 
Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. I just want to repeat that part in the middle. It penetrates to the dividing of soul and spirit, showing us what is the proper place for these things. Emotions are not bad. Your unique personality is not bad. Feelings are not bad. Ideas are not bad. Doing noble and good things for God is not bad. But when those things are being done without a dependency upon God, when actually the self is leading and God is not being given control, they go bad. The order is wrong. And so churches move into a place of renewal when actually we realize our dependency upon God, that we can't do it ourselves, that there's this sense that we've been running the ship. Now, that's true of an individual, but how much more true is that of an organization of humans coming together to be the people of God, yet when souls are running around and opinion and preferences and arguments and dissension and our own addiction to feelings and all of these things come in, that can be a profound mess. Thus, I believe... There is a profound opportunity at this moment when we are so restricted and our human weakness is so on display in the midst of a pandemic. When we, the church, can barely operate like we normally do, reliant on all the things that we thought were often essential to church being revealed that are not necessarily essential. And so these prime decisions and directions of how we should meet what it will look like on the other side. All this is secondary to that call to be a people who worships in spirit and truth and realize that the essence of what God is looking for, he's less interested in how, what, where, when we worship, but he's really interested in, in finding people who are worshippers that the Father seeks. And I think in this season, when we can't be in a room with heaps of people singing, and that moment where even if you're trying to resist it, that crescendo of singing, because you're singing with hundreds of people, and the guitar is hitting the right notes and the drums, and there's this movement of sound, and you can get caught up in that, and you can get caught up that in the spirit, but also you can get caught up in that in just your soul because of the way that humans respond to music. At the moment where our faith can get dragged along by the social community dynamics, where we begin to mistake that actually church is all about the community and we place that above Christ. Again, nothing wrong with music, nothing wrong with community. But the Father is seeking those who worship Him in spirit. So when the soul and the spirit begins to be divided as the word of God comes, we are invited in this new normal to be a different kind of church being renewed by Jesus. Where we move from consuming religious goods and services, of looking out for the church that perfectly you know, responds to our preferences and wants, 
And we move from consuming to consecration, giving it all to God, placing it on the altar. Soul and spirit is divided when we give it all back to him. It's interesting that if you look at the temple, sacrifices were consecrated and given to God before the priest entered into the holiest of holies. Putting all of our preconceptions about what we think red should be on the altar and saying, God, we just want to worship you in spirit. I give it all to you. Consecrate me. Show me where my feelings are running ahead of my faith. Show me where my ideas and thoughts are getting ahead of your word. Show me where I'm putting people or things before you. Father, I want to be set apart. Consecrate me. As we do this, we move from opinion to obedience. Souls are full of opinion. We have independent will and ego. And that's actually good when it comes under the discipleship and lordship of Jesus. But without that dependency, it runs amok, always seeking independence from God. But when things are in their right order, when the priest would go into the holiest of holies, that's when the spirit of God would speak to the priest as God to man in the garden. And how Jesus and the Holy Spirit can speak to us now as we are his walking, living temples. And when you come before the majesty and glory of God, we primarily listen. We may petition and bring prayers before God. But when you're in your presence, we obey. And we need a church on the other side of this, which doesn't bring a whole bunch of remixed opinions to the other side of this, but actually is a church which then moves into obeying the word of God because he is leading us. And a spirit is leading in communion with his spirit, the rest of us. And what's brilliant then is the human works as it's meant to work, that the spirit then, then goes into that translation point where our desires then are actually God's desires. Our will responds to his will and our bodies enact that into the world in whatever you do. And you become a walking embodiment of God's love, his spirit, his truth in the world. And this moves us from being self-led. Ultimately, when the soul is leading everything before our spirit, what that means is we are being self-led. And when you have a church filled with people, particularly, this is true of humans at any stage of history, but particularly in the 21st century of radical individualism, it becomes an anathema to the church and what God has called us to. And so we move from being self-led to spirit-led as the people of God, being the kind of worshippers, 
that God is looking for, where a word goes out and someone's preaching and it may not even be good. It may be a sermon where the preacher has stumbled and got the order wrong, but when they read the word of God, there is a receptivity in the people of God where they take that and place that in good soil. Where there's a culture of worship and meeting with God in spirit that actually is about God, not us. Where we commune with his spirit. Where people recognize the church as a place where they can come and meet with God's spirit. Versus, oh, that song's all right. This is okay. That person played a bit off key. This is a profoundly different way of creating a culture of worship. Which can happen in homes, happen in smaller groups, big services, wherever. It does not matter the actual window dressing. What matters is people who come to worship in spirit and truth. And then what you have on the other side of this is people seeking to worship God in spirit who are in alignment with him. And renewal, as Richard Lovelace said, is when the people of God are open to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit breathes on the church of God and new life comes into it. So the goal for the other side of this is not what does red look like, not how do we meet. We'll work all that out. But it's secondary, even tertiary. Renewal of God's church comes when we choose to worship him in spirit, to continue to allow him to renew us. And you know what? That's a church that's magnetic. That's a church that draws people in who are hungry and looking for meaning and who are thirsty in a dry land for living water like that woman at the well that day who did not even realize it. But then as she encountered Jesus and her pretense and soul was seen through, he offered her living water the kind of which she couldn't drink from the well. On the other side of this, let's be a people who flow with streams of living water, worshippers in spirit and truth, the kind of worshippers that God is looking for. That is more important than anything. That's the goal that is not reliant on whatever it looks like on the other side of this or even in the midst of this. That's what God is calling red to. Let's pray. Jesus, we've just talked about what we are as human beings. The fact that you created us with these different parts of us, this physical body, people filled with minds and, and, and wills and egos and feelings and emotions and humans in this world. We have so much going on inside. But we realize that for many of us, so much as what of us gets confused with what we think you're saying. And Father, we just pray for your word to be that clear division. Search our hearts. Divide soul and spirit. Help us to commune with you. And just pray now that your Holy Spirit comes and begins to get past whatever we're feeling, whatever today's been like or last night, to cut through maybe loneliness, maybe frustration, 
at this moment of, of lockdown, maybe the noise of kids, a worry about employment, a concern about health. And may your Holy Spirit commune with our spirit. As we realize the holiest of holies doesn't have to be a room in Jerusalem, that it can be anywhere. And as your spirit fills us, communes with us, as we enjoy being in your presence, I pray, Father, we consecrate our church to you again. Whatever it looks like on the other side of this, whatever it looks like in the in-between of this, more than anything, Father, we want Red Church to be known as people who worship in truth and spirit, the kind of worshippers that you're seeking. And may that begin now. Even with online church, huddles on Zoom meets, conversations of people shot across electronic methods of communication, maybe in the midst of that, Father, still show us what is to worship in truth, to commune with your spirit. And Father, when we do come back, may we come back stronger, not because we've worked it out and we've aced the best way to organize organize ourselves post-pandemic, but Father, may it be because we're connected in our spirits to you, the inexhaustible power source. We're weak at the moment. We need your strength. Revive and refresh and renew your church, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.